On December 13, 1577, Francis Drake set sail on a secret mission from Plymouth, England with six ships, intent to raid Spanish treasure fleets and settlements along the Pacific coast of the Americas. He would eventually pass by and land just 30 miles north of the Golden Gate, though it would be more than 200 years before the first outsider would stumble upon the entrance and sail into the waters of San Francisco Bay. Hello and welcome to the Portside Report, a weekly update for Mariners. I'm Brian Klein. This is a new segment we're calling Points of Interest. While the credit for the first European explorer to see San Francisco Bay typically goes to Gaspar de Portola, even he, standing upon a ridge near Pacifica some 200 years after Drake sailed past, did not grasp what it was he was seeing. To him, it was another arm of the Pacific, not realizing that what he had just laid eyes upon is one of the greatest protected harbors in the world. But the true honor goes to a man rarely mentioned in history. He was not a conqueror, nor was he nobility. In fact, he was a simple sailor, who, through a turn of bad health, found himself cast away to become a great walker of the land and the unintentional European discoverer of San Francisco Bay. In 1578, as Drake made his way through the Straits of Magellan at the southern tip of South America and into the Pacific, he was down to but one ship, the Golden Hind. Drake's was the first English ship to make it into the Pacific, and as such, the Pacific and the Americas remained the uncontested domain of the Spanish fleets, pillaging immense amounts of gold and jewels from the natives of South and Central America. Being the first enemy ship in the area, Drake had the advantage of surprise and successfully plundered and pillaged his way north, capturing unsuspecting Spanish ships and their treasures along the coast of South America. Drake had heard of a supposed passage that would take him back east through North America, a shortcut called the Strait of Anion, rumored to be around 40 degrees north or further. Sailing as high as Alaska and finding nothing, he sailed back south and, rounding a prominent point of land, found a sheltered bay that would prove perfect for making repairs to the Golden Hind. That point was Point Reyes, and that bay would later be named after Drake himself. Careening the Golden Hind at the mouth of a small estero on the shore of the bay, Drake and his men repaired their ship for several weeks while developing friendly relations with the local people of the Miwok tribe. Finally, the time had come to haul their treasures back to Queen Elizabeth I, and they would have to go the long way, across the Pacific and Indian Oceans, around the Cape of Good Hope, and back up the Atlantic to England. Drake and his men would thus become the first English ship to circumnavigate the planet, and only the second humans after Magellan. When he landed at Point Reyes, Drake had aboard a foreign ship pilot named N. de Morena, and by this time, Morena was in bad shape. In his own words, he was, quote, more dead than alive, and, believing he would not survive the journey back to England, the crew put him ashore to, quote, see if the heirs of the land would give him life as a dead thing. In only a few days, however, the pilot Morena regained his health enough to begin walking, and so he walked, and walked and walked. Over the next four years, Morena walked more than 1,700 miles south to the Sea of Cortez and down into Mexico. It seems, however, that one of the first things he saw in his journey was a great body of water just south of Point Reyes that appeared to separate the coastal lands from the mainland. This is believed to have been the first European sighting of San Francisco Bay. The bay was so massive and unexpected that neither Moreno nor even Portola 200 years later recognized it as a bay. 
They both thought it was simply part of the Pacific Ocean. The entrance to the bay, the Golden Gate, would remain hidden until 1769. While not much is known about Moreno's journey by foot over those four years, it seems that he traveled inland from the bay, and, when he eventually encountered the Sea of Cortez, he did so somewhere further south than where Baja California joins the mainland. Knowing of the peninsula of land to the west, Baja, he assumed that the Sea of Cortez was a continuous body of water that must have joined the sea he saw to the north, thus giving way to the popular belief at the time that all of California was in fact an island. Maps of this area are fascinating, showing the area we call California to be a great island off the coast of North America. While we now know Moreno to have been mistaken in this particular regard, and while he was not nobility nor a great conqueror, credit for the European discovery of San Francisco Bay surely belongs to this simple man, cast ashore mostly dead, already a great sailor, to become a great walker and explorer, some 200 years ahead of his time. And now this week's Local Notice to Mariners. This edition is going to be excerpted from the District 11 Local Notice to Mariners, week 12 of 2019, and it's restricted to San Francisco's North, Central, and South Bays. However, as this is neither a complete nor official reading, information that may be important for a mariner's ability to safely navigate these waters may be omitted. Refer to the complete Local Notice to Mariners for further information. Do you have a fascinating bit of history about San Francisco Bay? Or how can I make this podcast more useful for you? Let me know by sending me a message at ahoy at portsidereport.com. And now let's do the new items for this week. And uh, today we're going to fly right through section one and two. There are no light discrepancy updates for this area. And that brings us down into an often unused section, uh, section five, which is chart corrections. And this involves a few changes to the chart 18649, which is the main panel, the San Francisco entrance chart. And there is a change in the tabulation for the Oakland Outer and Inner Harbor project depths, as well as a change in tabulation for the Richmond Harbor and Southampton Shoal project depths. And they have also added a depth note regarding those project depths. There's more information in this local notice to Mariners, including a website URL you can go to to get more information on exactly what those changes are. And that brings us to section seven, the general section. New this week at the Golden Gate Bridge, dive operations will be conducted at the north and south towers of the bridge daily from 0800 to 1700 from the 9th to the 19th of April. Dive vessel Hawk, 65 feet in length, will be on site and divers' umbilical hoses may be floating at or near the surface, adjacent to the vessel. So you can reach Hawk on channel 14 or 16, or by cell phone, and there are several cell phone numbers here in the local notice to Mariners. And they ask that you do so approximately 30 minutes before transiting the bridge dive site. Also at the Golden Gate Bridge, the USGS, Pacific Coastal and Marine Geology Science Center, will be conducting a geophysical survey in the vicinity of the Golden Gate Bridge during daylight hours from the 8th to the 12th of April. Research vessel Park Snavely will be on scene conducting high-resolution acoustic sub-bottom surveys. Research vessel Park Snavely will monitor VHF channel 13 and 16. Now going up to the Pinole Shoal Channel, the Army Corps of Engineers will be conducting dredge operations in that area from the 22nd to the 29th of March. Government hopper dredge Yakina will carry out dredge operations and will be utilizing the disposal locations 
at San Francisco 11 near Alcatraz and San Francisco 8 at the San Francisco Bar Channel. Akina will be monitoring channels 13 and 16. There will be a pyrotechnics event involving a barge conducting a fireworks display near Pier 38 in San Francisco on April 12th. So transit that area with caution, and uh, but also get a good seat. Dutra Construction Company will be conducting marine construction at Crane Cove, which is just south of Pier 50 in San Francisco. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week from June 1st until September 16th. Crane Barge 3, CB3, and various assist tugs will be monitoring channel 9 and 16. And they'll also have a temporary anchorage in the area. And that is all of the new items for this week. And now, going into the carryovers from previous editions. From Section 1, Special Notices. You can submit information for publication in the local notice to Mariners. You can find the guidelines and examples and all the information you need at pacificarea.uscg.mil. And just go up to the search box there and type in LNM. You can also just shoot an email to d11lnm at uscg.mil. And they ask that you uh, make those submissions 14 days prior to the start of operations. If you have any bridge-related issues, including lighting, operation, obstructions, construction, demolition, etc., you can contact the 11th Coast Guard District Bridge Administrator. Next item is the... Union Pacific Railroad Bridge at Carquinez Strait. Anybody that needs a bridge lift at that bridge at mile 7.0 over Carquinez Strait should follow the protocol in the document entitled Coordination of Communications for Union Pacific Railroad Lift Operations. And you can download a copy of that by selecting the link Benicia Martinez Railroad Bridge under the Quick Link section at pacificarea.uscg.mil slash vtssf. And the regular section entitled, Caution to be Used in Reliance Upon Aids to Navigation. And this is a long one, but in summary, use caution when relying upon floating aids to navigation like buoys. They may move around as the conditions change, and uh, varying length of chain and the seabed and the currents all have their effects, as do natural causes and collisions and other accidents. So don't rely completely on those. Instead, uh, use fixed aids on shore and don't attempt to pass too close aboard to any of these floating aids as you risk collision. And the next item is the Marine Safety Information Bulletin regarding the use of the high-intensity work lights, usually on fishing vessels, in or near the offshore approaches to San Francisco Bay and anywhere upon San Francisco Bay. Well, they make it really hard to see your navigation lights. And you can't see your navigation lights. It's hard for another vessel to take actions to avoid collision. So violation of Rule 20 might be subjected to a potential $6,500 fine. All vessels operating near the inbound, outbound, offshore traffic lanes and anywhere upon San Francisco Bay are strongly encouraged to comply with the navigation rules as they pertain to navigation lights. So turn off your damn work lights. Next item is regarding VTS, Vessel Traffic Service. 
They'll be completing a switchover to an updated version of the Ports and Waterways Safety System on the 25th and 26th of March. Mariners should expect up to a 12-hour downtime when VTS services will be limited. Moving into Section 2, the discrepancies section. The Raccoon Straight-Lighted Buoy 4 is off station. The Oakland Outer Harbor Lights 7 and 9 are uh, structurally damaged and temporarily replaced with lighted buoy and missing and temporarily replaced with a lighted buoy, respectively. Redwood City Creek Entrance Light 2, structurally destroyed, temporarily replaced with lighted buoy. Redwood, Cre- Redwood Creek Light 13, structurally damaged, temporarily replaced with a lighted buoy. Napa River Light 8 and Napa River Light 15, structurally re- destroyed, temporarily replaced with lighted buoy. And the day mark is missing on uh, 15 there. Napa River... Lights 8 and 15 are structurally destroyed, temporarily replaced with a lighted buoy and day mark missing, respectively. Over in Richardson Bay, day beacon number 9, structurally damaged. San Francisco-Oakland Bay Bridge Pier A fog signal, sound signal remains inoperable. Bay Farm Island, lights 1 and 3, lights are extinguished. Southampton Shoal Outfall lighted buoy 1, lights extinguished, Raycor inoperable. And that gets us out of section 2. And moves us right down into section 7, the general section. This item is entitled NOAA Electronic Navigational Chart. And the thesis here is that NOAA recommends that mariners take advantage of the most recent chart updates by using the NOAA Electronic Navigational Charts, or ENCs, for navigation in U.S. waters. And that is over paper charts or the raster navigation charts, the RNCs. Up at Cordomadera Creek, the Bonaire Road Bridge Replacement. Golden State Bridge has been replacing the existing bridge, and this will be the temporary work trussels, etc. If you operate in that area, check out more information in this local notice to Mariners. Moving on to Mare Island Straits, Mare Island Dry Dock LLC will be conducting maintenance dredging at Mare Island Shipyard, Dry Dock Number 3. The Petaluma River Bridge, I'm sorry, the Petaluma River, the bridge Black Point Railroad Draw Bridge, upstream fender system protecting the swing span has been destroyed and does not offer any protection for vessels. At the Black Point Highway 37 bridge, the fender's channelward side of the western pier are damaged. And back to the Black Point Railroad drawbridge. All navigation lights on the drawbridge are extinguished. Estimated time of repair is unknown. Up at the Pinal Shoal, it's uh, observing a reduced deep draft on the south side edge of the channel. It's limited in areas to 32 feet 9 inches until maintenance dredging can be performed. For detailed information on depths and locations, go to spn.usace.army. Search for, I don't know, search for Pinole Shoal. See what that does for you. At the Golden Gate Bridge, they're still using the 454-foot temporary under-deck platforms. And those will be moving back and forth across the span underneath the deck of the bridge. And it reduces the vertical clearance by no more than 14 feet in those areas. There's an enclosure at the end of this local notice to Mariners with more information. Also at the Golden Gate Bridge, hydrographic surveying and acoustic imaging operations will be conducted until March 29th. They'll be utilizing two survey vessels crossing the waterway between the North and South Tower piers. Crew members on survey vessel Pulse and survey vessel 505 will be on-site monitoring channel 16 and may occasionally tie up to the South Tower. Over in China Basin, the 3rd Street Drawbridge is having some activity on it. It's been going on for a while. If you operate in that area, refer to this local notice to Mariners. And there still remains deteriorating concrete pilings above and below the water line present in the vicinity of the south edge of Southampton Shoal. And the USGS Pacific Coastal and Marine Science Center will be conducting geophysical surveys in San Francisco Bay from the 1st to the 5th of April. The operations will be using a pole-mounted echo sounder to complete a high-resolution swath bathymetric survey. Research vessel Park Snavely will be monitoring channel 13 and 16. Shoaling has been reported on the south side of Oakland, Inner Harbor, South Channel, and the East Passage through the Fruitvale Ave Bridge. 
Shoaling's also been reported east of Petaluma River Channel Day Beacon Number 3. It's been reported to be as shallow as 6 inches, up to 15 yards from the aid. And the Golden Gate Bridge Highway and Transportation District will be conducting hydrographic survey operations in the vicinity of Golden Gate Bridge from the 18th until the 29th of March. Survey vessel Pulse and 505 will be conducting survey ops. Over at the lighted whistle boom number 2 in San Francisco Main Ship Channel, still transmitting an improper AIS signal. Up in San Pablo Bay, the Coast Guard has been unable to disestablish the seasonal sound signal for San Pablo Bay Channel Light 15 in accordance with published operational timelines due to, to the protection of some nesting ospreys in the area. Over in San Leandro, the Bay Farm Island Highway Bridge, the south side lower slide on the fender system is missing. Back up in San Pablo Bay, Transbay Cable LLC owns and operates a charted submarine cable that experiences intermittent exposures. In that same area, there are submerged piles partially exposed above the sediment surface south of Pinal Shoal Channel along the 30-foot contour. Those piles are present along the slope of the, the natural shoal at heights ranging from approximately one foot to five feet above the sediment surface. And that's it for the carryovers. And now, in carrying on with the post-St. Patrick's Day theme, this week's nautical word of the week is groggy. The definition of groggy is to mean weak and unsteady on the feet or in action. Now, the story of groggy begins with grogram, the name of a coarse, loosely woven fabric made entirely or partly from silk. The 18th century English Admiral Edward Vernon is reported to have been in the habit of wearing a grogram cloak and to have earned, for this peculiarity, the nickname Old Grog among the sailors under his command. In Old Grog's day, sailors in the Royal Navy in the West Indies were customarily given a daily ration of rum. But in 1740, Vernon, alarmed by the damage to the physical and moral health of his men, ordered that the rum should be diluted with water. The decision wasn't very popular with the sailors who supposedly dubbed the mixture grog after Vernon. The word grog eventually became a general term for any liquor, even undiluted, which led to people applying the term groggy to anyone, however sober, who moved with the unsteadiness characteristic of someone who has had too much grog. If there's something you would like to be included in this weekly podcast, from happenings on the bay to broadening the scope of the areas covered here, to a story that deserves to be told, I want to hear from you. Send me an email at ahoy at portsidereport.com. This has been another edition of the Portside Report, a weekly update for Mariners. Please subscribe and listen next Thursday or Friday for the latest local information and amazing Mariner trivia. Until then, fair winds and following seas.